Okay, we are trying something new this week. The recording in the sanctuary didn't quite work out, so I am now sitting in my office on Monday morning, February 19th, 2018, and we'll just do the, the sermon from yesterday here. Just a note before we begin, some days we'll have a conversation in this church about trauma, triggers, and content warnings. For now, I'll say this. This week, I'm going to talk about the, the school shooting this week in Florida. It would not be true to my conscience to do otherwise. And if this is a topic you cannot listen to more of, take care of yourself first. If you need to get up and go look at the rapidly warming temperatures or the rapidly cooling temperatures in February, please do so. If you need to make an appointment to come in and talk pastorally, please do so. Our first responsibility, the saying goes, is to put our own oxygen masks on first. So do what you need to do in order to take care of yourself this week. Social media is a powerful tool for memory. Facebook, in particular, has a feature that I'm still a little bit unsure of. Every few days when I log in, it pops up to tell me, this is what you posted four years ago today or one year ago. Often this can be interesting, reminding me of a, a joke shared with a friend or telling me that this is the first, the fifth anniversary of meeting Stacy's family. We took a picture and posted it on Facebook. This month, though, has been bittersweet. The algorithm seems to lean towards things that happened exactly one year ago, and the month before February 18th, 2017, was a memorable one. I've seen pictures pop up that Stacy and I took of protests at JFK Airport over the first so-called travel ban, celebrations of the Women's March, comments back and forth about it, what it means when the National Security Advisor resigns less than a month into a new presidential administration. This was the first month of this administration, and it was a month where every day felt like the world was ending. It was also a month where a lot of us were telling each other not to normalize what was happening, not to write off the frankly bizarre developments as a kind of new normal for our country and our lives. And it's bittersweet because I know what Facebook is going to show me next as the year goes on. Wondering about entrenched racism in our systems, horror at what happened in Charlottesville, Virginia, celebration of a new house, moving to Lincoln, shootings in Las Vegas and Texas, eventually the first anniversary of the 2016 presidential election. And as the year goes on in this retrospective that Facebook has, despite all the calls not to normalize what happened, a gradual shift of focus from crises to day-to-day -day life. It's hard to generate stable commitments over months and years. It's hard to call congresspeople every week or month for a year it's really easy to accommodate our lives to a new normal, to say, this is the way things are now, so, um, so how will I live a successful, happy, meaningful life? Some level of this accommodation is probably necessary. I cannot single-handedly convince the administration in Washington, D.C. not to veto an immigration bill coming out of the Senate. 
I cannot, as much as I would like to, speak out on every single issue that I am passionate about. I was talking with a, a mentor the other day, and she put it like this. Just about everybody underestimates the amount of self-care they need to do to be functional in the long term. So the trick is to take care of yourself right up to the place where it feels like a self-indulgence. If you don't feel a little guilty about your self-care regimen, she told me, you are probably on a long-term trajectory that ends in burnout. And there's a lot that needs attention. We all have to find ways to function from day to day. For me, so that yes, I can write my representatives, but also cook dinner for my family, make it to the hospital for visits, not to mention write a, a cohesive sermon for Sunday morning. It is easy to accommodate ourselves to the noise of the world. But that tendency to, to find accommodation in the name of sustainability can have terrible effects. I wasn't supposed to preach this week. The guest speaker that we had lined up fell ill, and I offered early in the week to pick this up. And so unlike most weeks, I, I haven't been thinking about this topic for the last month. So here's what I wrote on Tuesday when we needed a blurb for the newsletter. I wrote that Martin Luther King said, there are certain things in our nation and in the world which I am proud to be maladjusted to. It can be easy to adjust ourselves to the injustices of the world, writing them off as just the way things are. How can we push back against this complacency and remain maladjusted. That was, that was the first blurb that I wrote on Tuesday. Wednesday is our day for staff meetings. Thursday, my usual writing day. I woke up, poured a cup of coffee, turned on NPR, and walked downstairs to work out and start outlining the sermon for the week. And I remember thinking as I started to warm up, should I change what I was going to say in order to address the shooting at this high school in Florida? Or should I just go ahead with my plan, maybe mention it in a prayer? After all, these tragedies happen so often now that I don't want my first year of ministry to be defined by them. And then the irony of that thought for this sermon landed on me like a ton of bricks. I ended up sitting in our basement on the stairs, head in my hands. We've become, I've become so adjusted, so normalized to the horror of children dead in a school building that in a week where I was talking about how we accommodate ourselves just to the way things are, I didn't want to get distracted by this. The shooting this week was one of the 10 deadliest mass shootings in our country's history. Three of those 10 have happened in the last five months since I have been here in Lincoln. This cannot be right. This cannot be normal. This is wrong and yet it feels like the new normal and hope for changing anything feels far away. One of the most heart-rending things I read this week was a student at Plainview, Ryan Cadrell, who said to the Washington Post in the aftermath of the shooting, I'm kind of surprised it happened here, but I'm not really shocked. School shootings happen all the time, and then the news just forgets about them. This question then 
of how we can push back against complacency, against normalization, and persevere seems to me far more urgent than it did when I wrote that blurb on Tuesday morning. So as the start of an answer then, I have a long quote from Martin Luther King. He said, there are certain technical words within every academic discipline that soon become stereotypes and cliches. Modern psychology has a word that is probably used more than any other word in modern psychology. It is the word maladjusted. This word is the ringing cry to, mo to modern child psychology. Certainly, we all want to avoid the maladjusted life in order to have real adjustment within our personalities. We all want the well-adjusted life. But I say to you, there are certain things in our nation and in the world which I am proud to be maladjusted, and which I hope all men of goodwill will be maladjusted until the good societies is realized. I say very honestly that I never intend to become adjusted to segregation and discrimination. I never intend to become adjusted to religious bigotry. I never intend to adjust myself to economic conditions that will take necessities for many to give luxuries to a few. I never intend to adjust myself to the madness of militarism, to self-defeating effects of physical violence. In other words, I'm about convinced now that there is a need for a new organization in our world, the International Association for the Advancement of Creative Maladjustment, men and women who will be as maladjusted as the prophet Amos, who, in the midst of the injustices of his day, could cry out in words that echo across the centuries, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. As maladjusted as Abraham Lincoln, who had the vision to see that this nation would not survive half slave and half free. As maladjusted as Thomas Jefferson, who in the midst of an age amazingly adjusted to slavery would scratch across the pages of history, words lifted to cosmic proportion, we know these truths to be self-evident. As maladjusted as Jesus of Nazareth, who could say to the men and women of his day, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. Through such maladjustment, I believe that we will be able to emerge from the bleak and desolate midnight of our inhumanity to each other into the bright and glittering daybreak of freedom and justice. My faith is that somehow this problem will be resolved. Words of Martin Luther King. An international association for the advancement of creative maladjustment. I would join that organization. King was probably a little tongue-in-cheek. Certainly his alliteration with the NAACP is no accident. But he was onto something. There's a, a great tradition of the creatively maladjusted. And it is through that tradition and that disdain for the status quo that there may be hope. What does it mean to be creatively maladjusted in this moment? How can we be maladjusted to the news more dozens of children shot and killed? How do we have faith that somehow we will be able to emerge, as King writes, from the bleak and desolate midnight of man's inhumanity to man into the bright and glittering daybreak of freedom and justice? 
that somehow this problem will be solved. Takes thinking out of the box. Maybe teachers across the country organizing a labor strike. Maybe students in Florida organizing a national day of remembrance. Walkouts in March and April. Teenagers in Florida tweeting back against the President of the United States, saying that this is not a mental health problem. I didn't hide in a closet from mental health. I hid from a gun. Maybe it takes us seeing this, really grappling with what it means that we as a country have decided that children are the price we are willing to pay for our rights. Whatever it is, However we are maladjusted, the other question is how we can remain so. I have been passionate about this issue for a decade when I had two friends die in gun violence at two different events in the space of a year. One one of the, the lesser known mass shootings. And I, <laughs> I wondered if I should talk about guns this morning or if that was just the new normal. It is hard to stay focused. So how do we do that? How do we stay awake to this? Stay maladjusted? Thoughts and prayers get a bad rap. One of the cleverer signs I've seen this week reads, thoughts and prayers. Or it did until that was crossed out and policy and change written over top of the sign. Thought is not enough. Prayer is not enough. But for King, and I would say for me, prayer and faith is the way to hold on to our maladjustment. If not for faith in a glittering daybreak of freedom and justice, cynicism and nihilism would be the only answers. Prayer, faith, allows us to connect deeply with our core values, to use them to push ourselves forward. probably appropriate that this is the first Sunday of Lent. The 40 days before Easter in the Christian tradition, Lent is a time of introspection, of deprivation and perseverance. The, the story goes that right after he was baptized, the Spirit drove Jesus out of the River Jordan and into the wilderness, into the desert for, for 40 days and 40 nights, though in both the Hebrew and Greek scriptures, 40 is a numerical stand-in for a high and unspecified number. Jesus, it's said, is sent into the desert and tempted three times. First by food, the, the devil says, make these stones into bread so you will not starve. Second by safety, the devil takes him to the tower of the temple and says, throw yourself off. If you are the Messiah, you will not die. And last, he is tempted by power. He is tempted by the status quo. As the devil asks Jesus to join him, where Jesus will be a king and rule, just the same as any other tyrant. Each time Jesus says no, the story says, committing to his faith. Lent is not traditionally about giving up chocolate. It is instead a time for us to reflect on what our temptations are, to go out into our own deserts 
and reflect on the deepest commitments of our lives. In 2018, in America, I suspect for many of us, the temptation that is hardest to fight is adjustment to the status quo. It is easy to accommodate ourselves to the world no matter what the cost. It is easy to say that this is normal. And that is what I'm going to spend Lent this year reflecting on. The other curse of accommodation is that it cuts us off from our own reactions, our own feelings in reaction to the world. The new normal implies a status quo, a, a baseline without extremes of the messier emotions, love, grief, rage. And we have to be willing to feel these things if we are to affect any kind of change. The sick activist Valerie Kaur puts it like this in a talk entitled Three Lessons of Revolutionary Love in a Time of Rage. She's just described a phone conversation with a man in prison for killing her uncle, the first hate crime in America's post 9-11 world. Remember, she says, it took 15 years to make that phone call. I had to tend to my own rage and grief first. Loving our opponents requires us to love ourselves. Gandhi, King, Mandela, they taught a lot about how to love others and opponents. They didn't talk a lot about loving ourselves. That is a feminist intervention. Because for too long have women and women of color been told to suppress their rage, suppress their grief in the name of love and forgiveness. But when we suppress our rage, that's when it hardens into hate. Hate sometimes directed outward, but usually directed inward. Mothering has taught me that all our emotions are necessary. Joy is the gift of love. Grief is the price of love. Anger is the force that protects us. We have all been told, implicitly, to suppress our rage, our grief, our passion. This is the way things are, that the news cycle will move on. I don't claim to have the answer this week. I, I struggle with finding revolutionary love in a time of rage. When the next mass shooting happens, I'll likely look at the radio, think about what I'm supposed to be preaching about, and feel guilty about whatever choice I make. But for now, this time, for, for this 40 days, I want to focus on how to stay maladjusted, how to hold on to my faith by prayer if necessary. And I will feel that grief. I will feel anger. Someday I will feel joy. And we will, as King said, emerge from the bleak and desolate midnight of our inhumanity to each other into the bright and glittering daybreak of freedom and justice. Faith tells us that that is possible and it is up to us to make it happen. Amen.